If you haven't been with us before, um, here at Redeemer, we tend to preach through books of the Bible, just verse by verse, chapter by chapter, over the necessary weeks or months that it might take us um, to, to do that. And so we've been in 1 Corinthians now for the last few months, um, are nearing the end, but still have a lot of meat here in this book um, to dig into. And so this is a letter from the Apostle Paul. It's written from the city of Ephesus. He's writing back to um, the church in Corinth where he had spent about 18 months. So he knows these people. He knows their setting, their situation, their struggles, their issues. It's been about three years, so the church is relatively new. Um, Corinth is a bustling, growing um, city. It's a port city, and so it's uh, financially, it's, it's done well. It's, it's got a really kind of an independent streak to it where people have had a chance to, to build their own names and their own reputations and their own status and their own wealth. Um, all the religions of the world have, have landed there because it's a port city. And, and Paul is now writing back to them saying, look, hey, we're, we are the temple of the living God. It's not going to be built in Corinth, but it's going to be shown and reflected and expressed to the people of Corinth through the very lives that we live. And so he's walking them now because he's, there's letters going back and forth between Paul and the church. Um, there's folks traveling back and forth. So he knows what's going on. He knows the people involved. And, and so Paul has written this letter to express um, some concern over like 10 or 11 different behavioral issues going on, saying, look, if we are going to rightly reflect the character of God in Corinth, then there's some things we're going to have to, to correct and, and to do better because of who Jesus is and because we want to show His character rightly. What, where we've been the last few weeks has been a focus on worship. And so starting in, in chapter 8 um, through 10, we saw worship in regards to, hey, I don't want you to worship idols. And I don't want you to be participating in those things, even though you're freed from them. Last week, um, the last two weeks in chapter 11, where we've been is we've seen him commend them in some areas of worship where they've done well, and he's also correcting them in some areas where they haven't done well, specifically in the Lord's Supper. And so now in chapter 12 this week, we're going to continue um, in chapter 12 and 13 and 14 with this idea of worship and what worship will look like. Um, honestly, this morning we begin to move into a little bit more of a kind of some controversial areas because we begin to talk about spiritual gifts, okay? And depending upon your church upbringing, your denominational backgrounds, you may have some really staunch thoughts and opinions here. Um, and, and there, honestly, for some, there may be even like some fear that begins to well up as you think about these things. Um, and so what, what I would ask is we're not going to be able to get to all of it this week. It's one of the reasons we preach the way we do is that sermons can kind of build on themselves. And this week is really going to be more of a foundational message because spiritual gifts are the topic of chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14. And so we're going to lay some groundwork as we begin to, to build on this. And so if you're, if you're chomping at the bit to get into the nuances and the specifics of each gift, we're not doing that this morning, okay? Um, and so if you're afraid, you can relax a little bit because we're not doing that this morning. Um, what I would like, though, as we enter these chapters is to just to, to lay down some assumptions, wh whichever side you're on. Because um, I think the tendency in this is to be like, okay, we're here, all right? And I know a lot of people in the room who are wrong. I hope y'all are listening, right? <laughs> right? And, and there's this tendency to, to think, hey, I hope my, my viewpoint on this is what is the one that's proclaimed mostly and primarily. 
And yet what we want to do here at Redeemer, right, is simply to let the text speak and to trust the Spirit to give us aha moments and to reveal Himself to us, all right? So that's a little bit more of an intro. Um, there's going to be a great, great opportunity for conversation, um, and, and I hope that we would remember the, the thread that we have seen woven so far throughout this letter, that Paul's concern is that they would be one, that they would be a family, that they would be a body, right? That it's not about superior individuals, but it's about the church being unified and one in Christ. And so that's going to continue as we, as we interact with the gifts. So if you have your Bible, we'll begin in, in chapter 12, verse 1. 1 Corinthians. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to no one is given, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To, other, to another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. All right, what I, what I want us to do here is, is kind of set the scene um, that we see beginning in verses 1, 2, and 3. And remember, we, at the end of chapter 11, we've just been in the Lord's Supper, where he is, he's saying, look, I cannot commend you in this because you have, you have set people apart, and you have you've damaged people, and you, the, those that are the haves have made the have-nots feel like they're not a part of the church. It's kind of the scene that we have. And so he rolls right now into chapter 12 to say, so now concerning spiritual gifts. If you remember back in chapter 8, um, the, the Corinthian churches, they're writing a letter back to Paul. They're talking and boasting of their knowledge and of their wisdom. So Paul begins chapter 12 with just a little bit of irony, right? Saying, so now concerning the spiritual gifts, saying, you don't know everything. You don't have it all figured out. You don't understand everything. There's still things for you to learn and to grow in and to be taught. That, they, that the Corinthians had a tendency to, to believe that they could be spiritually superior, that they wanted to, to hold things above others in the church. And so Paul is going to begin to address that. But they're living in a city where they have literally a religious buffet laid out before them, where they can choose from any belief, any philosophy, any cult, any worship system. And, and so there was a, a tendency for people to say, okay, in this scenario, I want to go to this God because this is the God of love, okay? And in this scenario, I want to come over here because this is the God of war, and in this situation, this is the God of, like, money. And so they could kind of pick and choose and turn to different gods in different situations. And what Paul is going to want them to say is, like, look, these, these idols are mute. It's his way of saying they're, they're dumb, not in, like, I'm calling them stupid, but saying that they don't, they don't speak and they don't hear. They don't know they're not, they're not alive. 
And he says, and so I don't want you to continue to go to them. I want you to go to the one true king, the Lord. So what would happen through the city of Corinth is they would have these like processional parades going for different ceremonies, different worship opportunities, different holidays, and people would march with the animals that were going to be sacrificed, with those who were worshiping, with the priest of that particular temple, and people would just follow along through the streets of Corinth until they arrived at the temple where the worship was going to take place. And so what he's doing, he's just saying like, look, some of you were once led astray. You were led through the city to worship along with those who were captives, along with those who were going to be sacrificed, the animals. Like you just followed them to this place where there were mute idols who could not lead you, teach you, or guide you. It's like that was, that's some of your story. But notice what he also says. He also says, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And here, right, he, he, he's speaking to the Jews, right? Because for them, the, the thought of someone being crucified on a cross on a tree, right, was a curse. And that if you did not trust Jesus as Savior, then you thought he was a cursed, right? Like he wasn't the Messiah. And so he's talking to those that have come from a religious Jewish background who would have once wanted to have said Jesus is actually cursed because he died, and he died on a cross, and God would not, right, crucify his Messiah. And he's saying to the pagans, he's like, once you led, you were walking through the streets in a processional going to worship mute and dumb idols. It's like, so both of you, he's speaking to the whole group, those with a religious background and those with a pagan background, right? That I want you to understand that the Spirit of God is going to minister to you. And in some of those services, in some of those situations where the, the pagan religious services would happen, that there would be utterances, and there would be the, these displays of power, right? Paul will tell us that in the last days, there will be false teachers who will come and will do incredible things, right? Attempting to lead people astray, that they'll show that they have power, and they'll say it comes from God, and that we're going to have to be able to discern those things. In 1 John 4, verse 1, right, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so he's saying, look, just because you've seen utterances or just because you've seen powerful things, we've got to test those things. Because the one that is from the Spirit of God is going to say that Jesus is Lord. And it's not going to speak against Christ. It's going to speak to him. What Paul is, is referencing is Deuteronomy 11 to some extent, that we're seeing these two different viewpoints. So verse 13 of Deuteronomy 11 says this, So if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Right? That's what we're called to, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in verse 16, we see the contrast to this. So take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. So Paul's saying, look, you're either going to worship like this buffet line, right, of gods who aren't real, right, who are, whatever power there is, is, is demonic, right? He says, or you're going to worship the one true God. And, and so he wants to begin to lay out for them how they can discern some of the differences. 
The first thing I want us to look at now is if you turn to verse 4, um, is that what Paul is really going to be fighting for here is he's fighting for what seem to be like polar opposites. He's fighting for diversity that's unified, right? And so to think diversity and unity seem like they're in opposition, but he's saying we have to be diverse, but while we're diverse, we're going to be unified. So remember in chapter 11, they're having meals, right, where the, the rich and the haves are eat, getting drunk, right? They're, they're being gluttonous, and they're eating these elaborate Lord's Supper meals while the rest of the church, the working class, or the slaves, or those who don't have, are standing out in the atrium or outside. The meals started without them. They're hungry, right? They're not being brought in. There's this clear line is being shown of, yes, we have, we're, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, which says we have one hope, Jesus. We have one rescuer, Jesus. We have one moment where salvation was made available at the cross, right? Like, it's the one thing that the church does that says it brings us all together and says we all had the same need, that we were rebels against God, and the same hope is in Christ, and the same salvation is offered to all of us. But as we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, they're saying, we're the haves, and you're the have-nots. We're going to let you have better food. You're not going to get it, right? They're dividing along social distinctions and statuses that reflect more the city of Corinth than they do the character of a generous and inviting God. And so Paul now is going to walk into spiritual gifts and say, look, we are diverse. We're not all the same. We don't all come from the same social status. We don't all come from the same socioeconomic status or the same ethnicity or the same religious background. But the Lord's Supper says that we're, we're one and we're unified, and so Paul is going to fight for both of these. Not this blanket sameness, but diversity that shows that we're unified in God. And look at how he, he begins it. Verse 4, so there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. He references the Holy Spirit here. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. References Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God, the Father, who empowers them and everyone. So do you re- he, he starts with the, Holy, with the Trinity, right? Like that God is one, right? But He's three, right? And, and it brings in this age-old question, right, as we struggle with, well, how can the Trinity be? But what, what we're seeing here is he, He's referencing that the, the Trinity itself is diverse, and unified, and it's in communion, right? It's in community with each other. It's why in Genesis 1 we, we see, let us make man in our image, right? That God is not talking to the, something that hasn't been created yet. He's, it's, it's a trinity interacting with itself. And so he's showing that he wants these diverse activities, these diverse gifts that are going to be given, but they're all going to come from the same source, God. The rest of chapter 12, which we'll get into next week, refers to the church as a body. And so it's going to say there's one body with many parts. There's fingers and there's hands and there's ears and there's eyes and noses and mouths and feet. And it's like all these parts, but they all together make up one thing, one body. And so we don't have a body of just eyeballs or a body just of hands. We have these multifaceted portions of our body, but our body is one. So he's trying to say, look, the diversification, right, is okay because it's going to make up one thing, one unified thing. This list that he's going to lay out here in chapter 12 
is not an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts. This isn't all of them, right? If you look at Romans 12, you'll see a, a slightly different list. If you look at Ephesians 4, you'll see another list. If later, even in this letter, you'll see some other gifts mentioned and some of these not. Paul is not trying to lay out a theology of spiritual gifts in chapter 12. He's not saying, here are all of them. If your li- isn't here, it's not a gift. It's not what he's doing. He's writing about specific needs and concerns to the church in Corinth. And so he's going to talk about specific ones here without listing all of them. But what he wants them to realize is whatever gifting you have, whatever way that you serve the church, that it all comes from the same source. It comes from God himself. So he's fighting, right, for them to understand that they are one in salvation and they are one in hope, right? They have one Savior, one Rescuer, one need, but they're not all going to be the same in their giftings, but they'll be the same in their status before God, Remember, the Corinthian church, right, there's superiority issues going on where people are going, you see my gift? My gift is better than your gift. My gift means God loves me more. My gift means that I'm superior over you. You can only wish that you had what I have. So you should try to obtain it so that you can be like me. Right? It's the same attitude that's happening at the Lord's Supper where they're separating over haves and have-nots. Right? Paul's saying, look, this isn't the character of God. The character of God is that he brings diverse people together and makes them one in Christ. He unifies them on what they have in common, which is Christ and Christ alone sometimes. There is no hierarchy of gifting. You notice he doesn't say, all right, whoever's preaching, top of the list, right? Whoever's doing this other stuff, eh, that's an okay gift, right? He's not like ranking them, right? He's just listing them. Let's go on. So he's, he's not just fighting for unity and diversity. He's showing us the point of the gifts are love for the common good, right? So um, verse 8, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. He goes on to knowledge, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another the working of miracles. But he's saying all of these things are given for the common good. Peter says it this way. This is First Peter 4. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, speak as one who has the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So Peter says, look, we all get a gift from the very grace of God. And he's not saying that there's only two. He's not simply saying that there's preaching and serving. He's just listing, saying whatever you do, do it to honor God. Do it to serve and to bless one another. And so what we're going to see through these gifts is that you're not ever going to be given a gift from God that doesn't have a task with it. Right? You're not given something so that you can just like hold it up and like revel in glory over what you have versus someone else without having to do something with it. That if you've been given a gift from God, that it's for you to use for the benefit of others. He noticed that, he, that all receive a gift, but not all receive the same gifts. If we can recognize that we're, we're given something, then we're going to see there's no room for self-exaltation. There's no room for boasting. 
Because it's not for me to hold it up and say, I'm better than you. Or for you to hold yours up and say, look at what I've got. I'm better than you. It's to serve one another, to love one another, not to boast or to exalt. If we understand that it's been given by God, that we're merely recipients of a gift, right, then it brings about gratitude. Right? It's when your kids, right, start to boast in something you give them. You hear them boasting to their friends, and you're like, why don't I just take that away? Right? Reminds you that, that that was given to you. That's something that I chose to give you, and it wasn't to lord over people with. Right? Like that, that God doesn't say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the gift of hospitality or of service or of preaching or whatever it is so that you can then draw this crowd to you that holds you up and glorifies you. Like I've given it to you so that you can love the body, so that you, not so that you will boast in it, but that you will glorify God as the giver of gifts. So what this means is this, that humbler, less like forward-looking expressions of the Spirit are still gifts that still come from a divine source. All right, so let's just be honest for a moment. There, there is a tendency, right, um, this morning for you to go, man, I'm not on nursery duty. Thank goodness, right, when you see a room full of kids, right? And there's, there's a tendency to think, man, that is a selfless, thankless job, right? But whoever's on the stage, man, we want to applaud them, right? We want to thank them, we, right? We want to say something to them. We want to know them. But nursery worker, whatever, anybody can do that, right? What, what Paul is laying out is like, look, if this is for the good of the body, then even humbler expressions are from a divine source. It's from God. And it's for the benefit of the body. And so there's no boasting in this. There's no, there's no going, look at me. Right? The day you hear me or anyone that stands up here preaching begin to say, look at me, we need to look at them get off the stage. Right? Like that's not what we're going, right? As soon as your gospel community leader begins to say, exalt themselves and elevate themselves, then they've kind of forfeited the right to, to that role, right? That we want to see people use the giftings that they have to serve. And so what's going on back there is not babysitting, right? It's people loving you so that you can sit without distraction for a little while and hear from the Word of God. It's people loving your kids and your grandkids, right? Pointing them to Jesus, even the little ones, right? Praying for them, singing songs, talking about Scripture, short stories with three-year-olds, right? Longer stories with elementary kids. Like those things are happening because people want to point these kids to Jesus, coming alongside and serving you as you point your family to Jesus. It's no small thing. It's a massive thing. And so they're serving everyone in here. Whether you have a kid or not, the room is quiet because of what's going on, right? Think about the band that comes up and works every week, right? Like that, that attention to detail and effort have been put in to serve you so that this is not a distraction, not to draw attention to themselves, but so that it's not so poorly done. You're like, I can't even worship because look how bad that is, right? But it's done as a way to serve you. 
that homes that have been opened up this week for you to come in and to partake of meals and to talk about Scripture and to pray with one another, right? That they did effort to clean their home or to at least shove stuff in a closet, right? Like that they're, they're, they're making sure that there's something to eat, that you are feel welcomed, like that you're being served, right? That we want to serve even when it's humbler expressions that might never gain us any attention or anyone really caring to know our name. And to know that those expressions that might draw that kind of attention need to be watched out for. Right? That pride is lurking at the door. And that it is a gift from God, given by God for the benefit of the body, not for your glory. Not for my glory. The gifts remind us of the need for the church. Right? There's a tendency sometimes to think, why do I need, like, I know Jesus. Why do I need to go to church? Like, I love him. Why do I need to go to church? And yet, what, what does Paul say? Like, all of these gifts are given, and guess what? You don't get them all. Nobody does. Right? No, no, no believer gets all the gifts. And so that means that there are things that I'm lacking that I need from you, and that you need from me, and that we need from one another. And so we gather because we need, we lack. That we come together to serve but church, sometimes the harder thing for us is to come together to be served. Right? Like, we're glad to open our home, right? We're glad to be the one leading or teaching, but don't make me be the one that has to be served, right? Like, that, that's sometimes our pride gets in the way. Where it's far harder for us to be the one having hands laid on us and prayed for. It's far harder for us to be the one sitting in the hospital room as people come through showing love and concern and compassion. We want to be the one doing And yet, as a family, as a body, we are called to serve. Yes, we're also called to allow others to use their gifts to serve us, to be served as well. That we could live out the one another's, the four plus dozen one another's of Scripture. That we would realize that we are dependent upon one another because we don't have it all, we lack. Look at verse 18, which we didn't read. Look at what what Paul writes. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Like that God has put us together, right? Church should be, right, like family. And when I say that, it means you don't pick your family, right? You're born into a family, and you, you got to deal with what you got, right? That a church is like that, that we don't, we don't segregate ourselves out and say, I'm going to find, you know, a hundred of my best friends, and that'll be church, and no one else can come, Right? That doesn't reflect the image of God at all. That we are brought together and called together in our diversity to unify around the cross that is our same need and our same hope. It also means that we desperately want this to be a place of belonging as we share our gifts. Right? Think about walking into a place where you belong. People know you. Right, like, if I'm, just, if, I'm, if I'm speaking just frank here, I love the fact that so many people here know my kids by name. Right, that when, I sh- when on our gospel community meets tonight, that there are people who are excited to come to our house to play with Jude. Right, who let, will let Jude run around like crazy, right? So, Jake, thank you, right? <laughs> right, like, that Jake just like, comes in sweaty before the meal every night because he has just been loving Jude, Right? That um, yesterday we had a men's Bible study, and Kevin got down in the floor, right, and was playing 
cars with Jude before men's Bible study. Right? Just, just loving my son. Right? That other people know my kids, like, that my kids will never wonder if they belong in church. Because you know them and you love them and you've accepted them crazy and all. Right? That on Sunday mornings when Jude's up here playing the drums and you really wish he would stop. Right? That no one's going, God, I hate that kid. Right? Like that Jude belongs. He's a part of this. And so what we want is for all of us to be known and to know, right? That we would be on both ends of that, that we would desire to know people so that they would belong, but that we would also want to be known so that we would belong. And that we wouldn't say, okay, this is enough, but that we would constantly be looking to draw people in and saying, you can belong here. That's what Christ does is he takes rebels and enemies of his and he draws them into the family and says, you belong. I like you. I love you. I forgive you. You're now my son. You're now my daughter. You're a part of the family, and you get it all. Church, that's what the body is supposed to look like. Diverse people in age and in ethnicity and education and in money and in backgrounds and in religious upbringing brought together as a family saying, hey, the one thing we got in common, Jesus, but it's okay because it's enough. It is sufficient, and you can belong here. That you can belong here regardless of what you, th- what you look like and what your background is. Because Jesus is sufficient. And so he's listing all of these gifts to say, hey, whatever you have, you get to serve. And right, as you're serving, right, you're not complaining because you're, you're invested in it. It's the difference in being part of cooking the meal and the one looking at the waiter going, take it back, Right? Versus the one that's in the kitchen going, I'll fix it. I'll make it right. We saw in verse 3, it says that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. This idea of Jesus is Lord is like personal allegiance saying, he's mine, he's rescued me. That, that I will do what he has commanded and what he's asked of me. And it's admitting that once I was a rebel and I had a different Lord. And now he's my Lord, and he leads me, and he guides me. And so, church, when we see a need, this isn't, this isn't as complicated as, hey, let's pass out like a spiritual gifts inventory and figure out what your spiritual gift is. It's, it's about acting and responding and doing. And so, for some of you, when you see a need, your first thought is, I'm going to take food over there, right? It's your first thought. You have this like gift of like just hospitality and care, and you know, man, it would be nice if I was in that situation not to have to cook. And so you walk over there going, I don't have any verses for you, but I got this. And you love them and you serve them well. And many of you think that's not enough. And you go, Man, I wish I was the preacher and I knew some words to say. Others of you go over in the same time of crisis, the same time of need, and you just provide a listening ear. And this person who has been Right, strong in the midst of this, all of a sudden breaks out in tears because they're being heard and listened to, and you weep with them, and you show that you have the gift of empathy to just love them, to let them get it out. Others show up, and you're like, man, you don't want to eat what I cook, and I'm not very good at listening, but I noticed that that tree's hanging over your house, and there's, who knows when you're going to be able to get up there, and you get up and you just trim the tree. Right, that you just see this practical need and you just take care of it. And no one says, you have the spiritual gift of tree trimming, right? 
but that you saw a practical need and you just met it for the sake of them because you're loving them. That others come together and you go, man, as I was praying for you this morning, this verse came across my mind. And so you, tell, you write them a note or you send it to them or you text it to them and their soul is ministered to as like the Lord has spoken directly to them. Others go and you lay your hands on them and you pray for them, right? Like that, that we all, right, you just kind of have these ways to minister to the same need in a multitude of ways. And all of them are meeting needs. All of them are a way that you're loving. All of them are a way that you're bearing burdens for one another. And not one of them is greater than the other. So think about what if, what if all we did was take food? We didn't talk about Jesus. And we didn't share Scripture. And we didn't pray for people. We just gave food. And they're like, I'm full, but I'm not satisfied. I'm not ministered to completely, only in part. Right? We need it all. And it's why the church often has been given um, kind of this funny look was because maybe all they bring is Scripture. Or all they bring is prayer. And we're like, they're like but I've got a lot of stuff going on. I got a lot that needs help with, like that we bring all of it, not a portion of it, as we as we attempt to do this. And so, listen, we're gonna we're, we will spend time next week in chapter twelve looking at the the nuances of the gifts and, and looking at how this works in the body. But first and foremost, we had to start by saying, do we understand the point of the spiritual gifts? That it is not for our personal indulgences but it's for the benefit of the common good, for all of us to know and to serve and to be loved and to be served and to be known and to be loved, right? That we are in this together. And so, so Paul is wanting to say, look, yeah, we're going to be different and it's going to be messy, but we're going to be unified in Christ. So this morning as we end, would we, would we rem- look at verse 11. All of these listing of the gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Listen, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The giftings and the nuance and the personality and the way that you serve the church was given to Redeemer by God himself through you. Right? Like that he said, this is the way I've wired you to serve my kingdom and my body. So we don't look at someone else and say, oh, I want to be like, God has wired you the way he's wired you to serve and to love one another because he has given it and has apportioned it as he wills. So let's celebrate that. So this morning, just as we leave, a couple questions to be thinking through. One, do I have eyes to see how I can serve? Because it may be this morning that you're going, I, I legitimately don't know what it is that I would do in any situation. Like that you're just like, I don't, or I can't see how what I do is actually spiritual at all, right? That may be the case. So like, let's let's talk about that. Like, let's bring that up in conversation, right? Do we have eyes to see what's going on spiritually? And second, do I, do I use it? Do I serve? Or in some ways, am I hoarding it to myself? Like, I'm receiving love, I'm receiving being known, I'm receiving hospitality, I'm receiving giftings. It's all fine, but I'm not, it it ends here. (laughs) Nothing's coming out. I'm not giving, serving, showing anything to anyone. 
right? That, that we're called to give and to receive. Church, we will, we're going to spend a lot of time here in, in 12 and 13 and 14, but we don't want to leave this place, right? That, it, that it's been given for us, for us, for our common good, to love and to serve and to continue to bring others in to belong, to know Jesus, who has brought together those who are near and those who are far off with one hope and one salvation and with one love. Let's pray.